Canuck Central Monday. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah with you on a day where uh, some unexpected NHL news came down the line. We'll keep an eye on the Stanley Cup playoffs and the games ongoing. One team may potentially be eliminated from the opening round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And, of course, we'll have lots of chatter around the Vancouver Canucks. We are a presentation of your local Grip Auto entire location. Friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. Frank Cervalli going to join us later this hour. We'll talk uh, Abbotsford Canucks as they wrap up their season. Chris Faber will join us. Don Taylor at 5.30. And we'll take you to Dallas for Game 4 of the Stars-Flames. Coming up at six thirty tonight for that puck drop. Yeah, I mean, and you know, we'll, we'll talk some Abby Canucks. And while you mentioned Abby Canucks, all I can think about was this one person who texted into our show last week, very angry about yeah. the lack of uh, playoff coverage. <laughs> the, the playoffs were over, like after you blinked, it was I'm like, like it, was, it was, it was, it's, it's over. <laughs> we didn't even you. have a chance. <laughs> it's like I'm sorry to tell you. Yeah, I thought this Abby team was going to go deep. I know. We were, we were excited. We we're like, you know what? We're going to have some yeah. game, home games potentially if they win, beat Bakersfield, and, and maybe there's, there'll be some home games. We might do some shows from Abbotsford. Yeah. Yeah, not happening. We were blatantly expecting there to be home games. Mm-hmm. Like we, were, like, at the last, <laughs> we were at that Abbotsford game yeah. <laughs> right before they, they clinched the playoffs, and we're like all, all excited. Yeah. And then the week before, they're like, well, a couple games left. Just got to get a win, and they'll uh, they'll clinch home, home, uh, home ice for that first round. Nope, didn't happen. And then they lose two in a row to Bakersfield. That's done. On top of that, and it's over. They're like uh, that's uh, that scene in The Simpsons with Sideshow Bob when he's like walking around and he keeps stepping on a uh, on a rake and it hits him in the <laughs> <Yeah>. face <laughs> constantly. There's a rake in every single yes square footage of uh, backyard. Just uh, continuously. Uh, not working out for the Abbotsford Canucks. But uh, still a lot of positives to take, and uh, we'll talk to Chris Faber about that coming up after uh, after 5 o'clock. So, uh, I don't know. I didn't wake up this morning expecting Barry Trotz to be an available head coach in the National Hockey League, Sat. Uh, neither, neither did I. And I woke up to a message from you to our chat yeah. saying, what? <laughs> I'm like, what? Uh, so, yeah. Barry Trotz? Say what now? I, okay, so... I wouldn't say that it was completely out of left field. I mean, I think all of us kind of wondered a little bit, hey, yeah. about the year they had. Could it happen? What if we we, can, we threw a hypothetical out saying, hey, what if they get rid of Barry Trust? Do you you know do you consider that in the off season? Do you wait yada yada for replacements? I mean, we were talking about this even when uh, when Travis Green got let go. It's like, hey, you wait to the end of the year. Who knows what happens with the Islanders? Yada yada. So I think it was in the back of people's minds. But once the season ended and the playoffs started and they were eliminated. We all kind of expected, okay, he's probably going to be back. Yeah. You look at the Islander season in, I mean, just the, the lens of, of how they had to manage it. They had a crazy COVID outbreak very early on. They also played, I think, what was it, their first 15-ish games mm-hmm. on the road because their new arena was was being finished. And yet, they still end up, above 500 at the end of the year after how terribly they started. Similar story to the Canucks, except the the coaching change didn't really happen there. You know, it was an underachieving year, but it's also a team that overachieved by getting to Mm -hmm. the Eastern Conference Final and taking Tampa Bay to the brink last year 
with Barry Trotz, getting the most out of that roster to the point where Lou Lamorello bought into a lot of players that maybe he shouldn't have bought into and paid them lots yeah. of money. I think that's more the story here, and and I do want to get to it because I've already asked the question on Twitter, should Barry Trotz be considered by the Canucks? Um, that's, I think, an obvious yes, but we'll dive into that in a little bit more detail. You can answer 650-650 on the Dunbar-Lumber text line. But to me, the story with the Islanders isn't Barry Trotz not getting the most out of that roster. It's their general manager committing to way too much money to mediocre players. And we know that story all too well here in Vancouver. It does not end well. Well, it usually doesn't. But one of the things that Lou has always done is found a way to navigate through all that. And he always finds a rabbit out of a hat some yeah. way or another. At least that's kind of seemed like the case with him. And who knows if there was pressure up, you know, up top for things to kind of change. And it's either the GM or the coach. And sometimes those things come in. And well, maybe it is what Merrick and Friedman talked about today on the 31 Thoughts podcast and also on his show, that maybe after the exit interviews, it became very clear with the players that they had to go a different way. And sometimes that happens when it becomes very clear that the guy and the, and the players are not going to work anymore. And when that becomes the case, you got to choose one. And you can't really choose one coach over 22, 23 different players. So sometimes it's, it's as simple as that. But it is confusing considering... The amount of success they've had ever since they came in. This being the only year they stubbed their toe. And I wonder, though, this is like like a bigger picture question I have generally. How many teams were able to actually overcome the pandemic year? Playing in the bubble postseason. Yeah. And last year as well. And all the baggage that came with that. Like, how, how many teams can really move forward? I mean, Mike Sullivan, who had won before, he's yeah. still there. John Cooper, they won the Stanley Cups, of course. We've seen a lot of coaching changes the past few years. A ton of coaching changes. And, uh, the, you know, the prevailing thought you hear from coaching circles is it's uh, <laughs> it's taken a lot out of me to, to coach through and navigate through this. And it has, you know, its own challenges for everybody. So I, I get all that. I just, I don't see how, you know, because this is an Islanders team that, even there, the way they've built this roster, it's in like a Barry Trotz identity, right? You know, they've committed to players yeah. that are willing to play the defensive side of the puck to an extreme, right? Even in the face of a league that is way more offensive than it has ever been before. So the team is built almost in the identity of its coach to get the most out of that roster in the way that he's played to have success through his time in Nashville, through his time in Washington, and now uh, even here with the New York Islanders. Well, and the other side, the other question too, though, is you're right. A lot of it is built towards trots, but is it also not really built towards the teams Lou Lamorell has always wanted? You look <laughs> like at the Devils teams? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what he's built. I mean, Toronto was different because with Shanahan, they wanted a different night. They wanted something different. And of course, at the end of the day... It, well, all they were doing was drafting young, hotshot offensive players, right? Right. So. But that was really what Brandon Shanahan set out to do. And at some point, it became clear they weren't going to coexist. And Lamarillo had to leave the Toronto Maple Leafs as well. But it's really the type of team that he's building. It was interesting to hear a name like Joe Quenville come up. There's a lot of buzz that Quenville's going to get one more kick of the can here. Yeah. And which seemed ridiculous considering all the stuff going on with the Blackhawks and whether he knew he didn't know and him being like all oh, the Panthers and no suspension being led put up. But there was this kind of sense that the league wasn't going to let him back in anytime soon. 
But we may even see his name pop up again as soon as this offseason for, for openings. You wonder where how that kind of plays into it. But outside of the, the Islander situation, and I think with Lamorello, it's going to be fascinating. Because, yeah. hey, how many years does he have left? And also, what happens with that team? Is it going to be a disaster, or do they figure it out again? And also, obviously, like you posed a question to our listeners, what, what does this move, Trots becoming available, mean, if anything, to Vancouver? Well, it means something to basically every team in the league that is thinking about a coaching change. Like, well, even if you're not, like if you're Vancouver, you've already made it clear that yeah. you want Boudreaux back on the agreed upon yep. next year. If Boudreaux, if Boudreaux says okay, but you're not offering an extension, how do you not even consider it though? You don't have to reach out to him. Do you? Yeah. Do you not consider it? I think you have to have the conversation. Barry Trotz is the kind of guy that if he comes available, um, basically, what twenty five teams in the league are saying, do we want that guy? You know? Yeah. D- does that guy make sense for us? Like, if you're Vegas and you're pondering Pete DeBoer right now, you're probably saying, hmm. Barry Trotz might work for us, <laughs> right? Look what he did with Washington. Yeah. He, he got some of his offensive players to, to buy in, and it really worked. Um, I, I think all of the teams in the league today did a – wait, the Islanders did what now? Yeah. Should we think about this now? And, of course, Trotz is still kind of figuring it out for himself and what he wants to do. I believe LeBron said – He's going to take about a week or so to decide what his next steps are. We'll talk to Frank Saravalli about this, too, coming up after 4.30. But it's easy to look back at what Bruce Boudreaux did and, and say, that was amazing. Look at the Bruin percentage. He got wins. He got the most out of that roster. Of course, there were still question marks being brought up by management, right? As we talked about last week, Jim Rutherford with the we need more structure comments to us and to the media. Barry Trotz is that guy. It's not hard to point the line and connect some of the dots to the types of things Jim Rutherford was talking about and saying Barry Trotz fits those types of things. He probably would. Now the question though is the types of things that they're looking for, does Trotz really fit all those other markers? And I think it's a fair question. What I think Trotz becoming available does, though, is make it more likely that Boudreaux comes back to Vancouver. What it means is that here is Barry Trotz available for a team that may have considered Boudreaux. And if Trotz is going to coach next season, he's going to take another job next year, which means probably a good job. Yeah, probably a team that's ready to win outside of maybe Winnipeg, like been, that, that has been mentioned before. For instance, as a team that might be after Barry Trotz, what if Vegas, for instance, goes after him? What if you know a, the Florida Panthers lose? And I'm, I'm not even sure they'll go after him. But still, the point being, yeah, if there's a contender out there, Barry Trotz is going to be at the top of their list. So well, that's going to take yeah. away an opportunity from from Boudreau. I don't think this opens up a door for Boudreau because it, it doesn't look like the Islanders would hire Boudreau anyways. They're, they're looking at something different. Yeah, it's uh, that's a it's a really interesting take in that all of a sudden Boudreau gets knocked down the pecking order of available head coaches. Well, for instance, he's won a Stanley Cup. If you're if you if your goal is to win a Stanley Cup next season, you have a choice of any available coach. How do you not take Trotz yeah. over Boudreau? It's, and, and I don't think, and, and I see people mentioning, you know, 
Trotz's boring style. He coached the Washington Capitals. They weren't trapping it up. Yeah. So he's going to coach what he has. And there were some exciting New Jersey, I mean, Predators teams for a couple of years, too, that scored a lot and played an entertaining style of hockey. They're still good defensively, but they're a team that pushed the pace under Trotz as well. So I don't think Trotz is going to come in here and, and play this horrible defensive style, but he is going to bring in structure, but he's going to allow star players to express themselves. Was it the uh, draft here in Vancouver when you had a chance to yeah. interview Trotz and talk about you know, how he sees the game and mm-hmm. how... You know, he's kind of he was ahead of the game, it seemed, in how to generate scoring chances and the ones that lead to a high probability of goals. Well, and they were at the forefront of this with the Washington Capitals a few years ago when they won the Stanley Cup. The amount of east-west passes they were yeah. completing before getting a shot off. They, they were not looking at, at traditional metrics. They had their own kind of data set out which said, hey, the more east-west you go before a shot, the more likely you are to score. So that team focused in on that. And we had a discussion with him. You're right. This was at the draft in Vancouver. And you got in depth about that thinking and, and how they worked with the analytics department and and how they really coached the strengths of their hockey team considering the top type of players that they had. So to me, Trotz is going to coach what he has, which means if you have a contending hockey team, he's the perfect type of guy to bring in and hopefully win a Stanley Cup with. So if there's a team that may have considered Boudreaux with Trotz being available, if he's available next year, I think without a doubt that knocks Boudreaux down a peg. Yeah, it's um, he's just... You know, he is going to be the most sought-after coach now. You know, Philadelphia looking for somebody to keep their dream alive, right, so that they don't have to go into a rebuild. I wouldn't be surprised if they throw all of the money at Barry Trotz. So should he be considered? Yeah, I think you'd be doing yourself and your organization a disservice if you don't at least explore the option or explore the idea and what it would look like. At the same time, you do have a pretty good option in Bruce Boudreaux, and one, as we've been hearing over the last day, especially from Elliot Friedman, that's one that seems to be looking more and more likely is going to be the coach of the Vancouver Canucks next year anyhow. Yeah, that's what it looks like. And this is something that, you know, even before the end of the season when there was talks of extension and maybe some of the stuff that we heard was optimism coming from the Boudreaux camp about how discussions would go because there had been some mutual interest in continuing this relationship and maybe they were kind of hoping that that would include an extension and obviously that's not part of the part of the case but there was always the sense that he's going to come back next season and beyond hopefully and the sense I got over the next past week has been the same thing we talked about last week so unless something unforeseen comes up I expect Budo to be back here with this team next year but I think what, what this also shows more than anything too Dan is having your options open how positive that is and and how many options that gives you Let's say Barry Trotz, for instance, next season says, says you know, I'm going to take this year off. I need a year. He's still got a year on his contract, yeah. so he'll be paid $4 million bucks over the next year. Yes, and then there's the other question of would the Canucks be willing to pay a Barry Trotz type of coach 4 to $5 million for four to five years? That's another yeah. question entirely yeah. that you have to consider because he comes with a big ticket, Barry Trotz does. Um, but So let's say next season, Trotz wants to take the year off, and you go into next year with Boudreaux, it doesn't work out the way you want. Well, now you're not committed to Boudreaux beyond next season. Barry Trotz from Western Canada lives in the Okanagan during the offseason. Vancouver may rank pretty high Mm -hmm. on the list of teams he'd be willing to go to, for instance, in a year's time. So this is why, as much as we look at it and say, hey, give Boudreaux his extension and all this sort of stuff, from the Canucks management perspective, having your options open is the best thing you can do, especially for a team that's capped out, doesn't have a ton of 
um, you know, extra assets as it is. So when you do have options on stuff, try to hold on to that as much as possible and give yourself opportunities. Like for instance, like had they had they signed, yeah, you know, Boudreaux to a three year extension, and then Barry Trotz became available, and wants to come here. Half the Canucks fans that said sign Boudreaux today, saying, you know what, maybe Trotz would have been better. <laughs> it's funny the the twenty four forty eight hours, and you know, I uh, I was here for it too. Some of the discourse that followed Jim Rutherford. And the comments and the firm direction he laid for the Vancouver Canucks with their coaching decision was surprising, given how the season ended, how loved Bruce Boudreaux was in the market, and all these different things. It just seemed obvious you would continue that relationship and at least, you know, really go forward with that relationship. But already a week later, and you're like, okay, maybe he made the right decision. (laughs) You know, why why tie yourself into something if you don't necessarily have to? And it's... As long as you can get it done. Yes. You know, Now, if you play hardball or you take that course with Boudreaux and then he walks... Then you're left in a uh, tricky situation. Unless he walks and you go and sign Barry Trotz, for yeah. instance. Right? But then again, I, I know people are bringing up the whole Mitch Korn thing, too, because he's always brought him around at the Golden Coach and all that sort of stuff. Yes, that's part of the equation. But with stuff that's been set up as it is, I very much doubt even Barry Tross would come in and say, yeah, you know what, let's get rid of Ian Clark and everything he's doing with Thatcher Demko to bring my own guy in. I think those types of things can be worked around. To me, it's number one, what does Barry Tross want to do? And does Vancouver have any interest in paying that type of money for a head coach? That's the bigger uh, question to me. I like, mean, forget the Goldie stuff. To me, it's, yeah. you know, would, would Francesco be willing to cut a check for four to five years at four to five million per year? It hasn't really been the track record. The last time it did something like that was with um, John Tortorella, and it blew up in their face. Yeah. Didn't love it. No. <laughs> Didn't like the taste of that experience. Even but the Boudreaux one, you know, he's going to cost about $4 bucks. It's just what's the length of that extension if they eventually go down that road. Right. And I, and I think the reason why they don't want to do the extension is because you're looking at 4 to $4 million or so for a couple of years. Yeah. It's a lot of money. If it doesn't work out, then you have a big ticket kind of taken away from your budget, your internal budget, whatever that number is to some yeah. extent. What Boudreaux is going to get paid next year is not going to be a massive number. No. It's going to be well, combined. Him and Green are going to be on the books probably around five million, roughly. I mean, I don't know exactly what what Boudreaux's yeah. number is next year, but I put that number around three, maybe slightly below, yeah, or maybe at three. I mean, and that's a, we're not talking four to five. Yeah. So, like, combined with Green still on the books, yeah. you're paying a five, five little, and a half. Yeah, about five, five and a half for your head coach, and which is a lot, but it's one year. Yeah, it is one year, and you're not committed to anybody after that. But, you know, we saw with Benning, it was like, you know, okay, we're going to add on a year to your deal, keep an option open. You know, how, how many contract extensions did Benning get <laughs> from 2017 on? Felt like you know, every two years he was he was getting a, one a or smallish, a, yeah. a one or two year extension. But that's uh, so that you're not fully committed to a long-term ordeal. Um, so one of the interesting things, when Elliot mentioned uh, that it's moving in the direction that Boudreaux will be back, he said this on the Merrick Show and Donnie and Dolly as well, but uh, Boudreaux was a part of the Andre Kuzmenko mm-hmm. interview. Yeah. And that he was a really big part of winning over Andre Kuzmenko in that interview as well with the uh, prized Russian forward. That could be that is likely going to make the jump, the jump 
to the NHL. Here is uh, Elliot Friedman on the Jeff Merrick Show. I think Boudreaux is going to be back. I, you know, they they had a a Zoom call last week with um, with uh, Kuzmenko, the KHL prospect, and I heard that you know Boudreaux was part of that call. And I, I think that one of the things that Kuzmenko has asked is, you know, here's this coach who's talking up what I can do here. Is he going to be there next year? And I'm under the impression that you know he was told that yes, he was. So. My my thinking is he's going to be back. I mean, who knows what could happen. But my thinking is he's going to be back, and I still think that whole situation is still very weird. Uh, it's still a very weird situation with Bruce Boudreaux. Yeah, we, we kind of didn't expect what happened last week. Um, but hearing, and hearing uh, Boudreaux be a big part of that Kuzmenko interview does really suggest things are moving in the right direction sat mm-hmm. and also if you're really trying to win that player over the type of player that is found money in the nhl like whether or not kuzmenko works out with whatever team he signs with why wouldn't you take that chance on a talented player that you get for absolutely free on a dirt cheap contract it's a one-year entry-level deal yeah. costs you nothing and the only the only other side of it though is there is some limited upside, and bear with me by what I mean by this with limited upside for Andre Kuzmenko, even if he has a great season. He's a UFA after one year. Yeah. So you have no control over the player. So if you get him, there's one or two, there's three avenues. <laughs> he plays great for you, then he becomes a free agent, goes elsewhere. But hey, maybe you're happy, helps you make yeah. the playoffs, whatever, one year cheap deal, that's fine. Or he plays well and you sign him to an extension, but it won't be cheap because he's going to be looking to cash in based yeah. on everything we've kind of heard as well. So he's going to cost you a lot of money to keep. The third being maybe you move him at some point and flip him, which sure. But he's not a guy you're going to get and get this great value, cheap contract locked in long-term. Not a guy you get it for a bunch of years. He's a, essentially a one-year rental, and you see how it goes. But you still make the bet. Yeah. So maybe Vancouver's... And this is Rutherford himself said this you know, a couple months ago. He said, what we can offer some free agents is unlike what some other teams can offer, and that is an opportunity. We can be, we can tell them they're essentially assured a really good chance. And I wouldn't be surprised that the Canucks essentially told Kuzmenko with yeah. Bruce Boudreau that coming out of camp, you're going to get a legitimate shot in our top nine. Uh, Kuzmenko would be 27 at the expiry of his entry-level deal. So any player coming into the NHL has to sign a entry-level contract. Yeah. That's what he would sign. It would be 925 k whatever. And then he becomes a UFA after that because he'll be 27 years old. And that is the agreement under the CBA. No matter how long service time, if you're 27, you hit unrestricted free agent status. So that does throw a wrinkle into the whole talk of this. But at the same time, again, you know, this is a player that you're getting for absolutely free. And you'll take that any day of the week mm-hmm. and hope that you're able to sign him to an extension should it work out. But if I'm Kuzmenko, what am I looking for? I'm looking for power play opportunity. I'm looking for the opportunity to play with good players. You know, all of those things are 100% apply to how he's going about assessing this situation and Vancouver can offer that well for, for instance what do we talk so much about this year you're probably not going to be able to take a step forward because you have to figure out your cap situation yeah but you don't have to necessarily take a big step back maybe you can take, take a bit of a sideways step hypothetically you sign Kuzmenko yep 
you trade one of your top six guys because you can't get him signed or whatever. So let's say, for instance, you can't sign Miller, you trade Miller, you yep. bring you sign Bo to an extension, you bring Besser back, you have Garland still, you bring Kuzmenko in. Yeah, you're not quite as good as you were last year, but if Kuzmenko hits and plays well with Pedersen, gets you, say, 55 points or 60 points, maybe you're a playoff team, and you don't lose a ton. You're still not as good, but you're still kind of giving yourself a chance to be in the race, maybe make the playoffs and all that yeah. sort of stuff, while giving yourself some future assets back in return as a flexibility you can use long-term. So in so many different ways, if you get Kuzmenko, even if it's a one-year thing, it helps you bigger picture, especially if you're trying to offload some money from your forward group and you need somebody cheap to come in at least for one year to help tide you over. Uh, Kuzmenko, 53 points uh, in the KHL this past year in 45 games played and was big in the playoffs as well. So a really interesting situation there. And obviously, Boudreaux being a part of that interview does say a lot about his future in Vancouver as well. Canuck Central is a presentation of your local Grip Auto entire location. Friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. Um, Minor Matt Nabbitt's for the handling of the Boudreaux contract situation has been nothing short of a tidy piece of business this far. Huh, tidy piece of business. If you say tidy piece of business, does that mean you are a soccer fan? Uh, <laughs> probably to some extent. It's like, I'm not saying I'm a soccer fan. Tell me you're a soccer fan without saying you're a soccer fan. It's been a big part of the, uh, Canucks media vernacular the past year. Yeah. You see tidy a lot, whether that's, I've thrown it around every once in a while. I know Drancer has and Harm has. So yep. it's one of those, uh, things I guess used quite a bit. Yeah. It's like, uh, oh, they've signed this player for 15 million quid. Tidy, bi- tidy piece of business that. Tidy. That's what it sounds like to me whenever anybody says tidy piece of business. Yeah. Maybe I watch too much Sky Sports on transfer deadline day. But. Probably. Did you watch, uh, <laughs> see the reporter from Sky at the uh, F1 event in Miami running up to athletes not knowing who they are? <laughs> he ran up, to, ran up to this Duke basketball player thinking he's Patrick Mahomes, interviews him. Oh, yeah. And at the end, he's like, oh, you're not who I thought you were. <laughs> you're not who I thought you were. It's like, sorry about that, mate. Uh, a lot of texts coming in on uh, on Barry Trotz. Uh, don't think Trotz fits for Vancouver. Eric from Surrey, I really hope Vancouver doesn't go after Trotz. The style of hockey of his teams play are extremely boring. And uh, the, the general sentiment is uh, keep Bruce Boudreaux around. Why, why, uh, why consider Barry Trotz? Uh, let's bring in our next guest. He's our Monday Hockey Insider. You find his work at the Daily Faceoff. It's Frank Saravalli. Thanks for this, Frank. How are you? Hello, boys. What's going on? Oh, you know, just another day in Canuck land, wondering uh, <laughs> what what could happen next for this team. We were we were all kind of surprised at how Jim Rutherford played uh, his Bruce Boudreaux card last week, but mm-hmm. it does seem as though things are moving in the direction that Boudreaux, uh, even with just the uh, option on his contract, is going to uh, remain the head coach of the Vancouver Canucks. Seems like that's the case. I uh, don't know if anything will happen to change that. I don't think it's been made official. Uh, yeah. To my knowledge, I don't know that the option has been officially signed, which needs to happen. Yep. Um, 
But I, my spies tell me there actually was a Bruce Boudreau sighting yesterday. Guess what Bruce Boudreau does in his time off? Ooh. <laughs> he watches hockey. Yeah. He it's... was actually at the Hershey Bears, Wilkes-Barre, Scranton, uh, Calder Cup playoff game yesterday, uh, posted up in the press box wearing a Hershey Bears sweatshirt, in case you were wondering. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, uh, a grinder, a hockey lifer that is always at the rink. So uh, adds a little bit to the uh, Bruce Boudreaux lore. Of course, Hershey is where he makes his uh, year-round residence. And it seems like with his involvement in the Kuzmenko uh, recruitment interview process and everything else that, you know, this is going to happen and it's going to get done. But I just don't know why it needed to go down that path that it did last week where it seemed to take a hard right turn. Yeah. And I think it's one of those, one of those things that we may not find out for a while, <laughs> or maybe if things go awry, then all of a sudden you start hearing every, everything that comes out once the parties have kind of parted ways. But you're right. It's one of those really intriguing, weird things that did kind of occur seemingly here. Um, obviously the big news, uh, you know, being Barry Trost, but before we get to that, you mentioned Kuzmenko. Uh, do you get a sense of him being any closer to making a decision and how likely it might be that Vancouver is ultimately that destination, given the opportunity they might be able to offer him? Uh, with their team? I, I don't get the sense that it's imminent. I think he's certainly willing to take his time and, and go through the process and, and understand what each team has to offer. There's a long list. Um, my understanding is that the Canucks will ultimately, I believe, be on the short list, you know, among the group of five, six, seven finalists, whatever that number looks like. Uh, they've been after him for a long time. He's been circled high atop Patrick Alvin's uh, list of, of free agents that are available and someone that he's, you know, certainly been keeping tabs on and, and has been, uh, you know, open lines of communication in order to express the Canucks interest. So uh, the Canucks are no doubt interested. One year entry level deal gives you the perfect sort of foray into the player and to what his game may translate to in the NHL and at the NHL level. And, it's a free bonus player. It's a free roster player that, you know, you believe could blossom into a lot more than just that. It's um, it, it was surprising this morning, I think, for everybody. And I, I read your piece over a daily faceoff on the decision to to part with Barry Trotz from from Lou Lamorello's perspective. And uh, well, his track record recently uh, doesn't doesn't really uh, give a lot of. Um, well, it doesn't say it doesn't paint a rosy picture for the future of the New York Islanders. But focusing on trots for a second, um, mm-hmm. how many teams in the league all of a sudden today are are looking at their head coaching situation and saying, "Should we be considering a move for Barry Trotz right now?" Yeah, I think the honest answer is almost all of the teams that have a vacancy, and probably a few others that don't. Like that's how highly sought after Barry Trotz is. Um, He wins. He's consistent. And I think above all else, everyone knows what you're getting with Barry Trotz. He's a, you know, top-notch communicator. He's classy. He treats people right, treats them well. And, and I mentioned the wins part, like that means something as well. Um, One of the real hallmarks and staples of a Barry Trotz team is he's able to get, pretty much the most out of players that you possibly can. And he squeezes every drop out. And so 
Um, not only that, but they're usually competitive because of their focus and attention to detail on defense. We all know that. Um, but my real question is, in, in watching this all play out, what does Barry Trotz want for Barry Trotz? Mm-hmm. He's had a long, long run consecutively in the National Hockey League since the Nashville Predators franchise was established in 1998. It's a long time. Uh, it's a long time to be behind an NHL bench. Does he want a break? Does he want to do something a little bit different? Does he want to change it up, do a little bit of something in the front office and management? This is his opportunity, his blank slate, uh, to be fired and, and to have another $4 million bucks coming your way. You'd have to have a team pay you more than that to, to get back into the mix or jump into the fray or at least have some sort of offset uh, in your contract. And, you know, it's, it's an interesting spot for a guy who's just about to turn 60. You know, he potentially has a chance to take a step back and do something a little different. If he wants a job, he'll have one by Friday. And if not, he can relax and hang out for a year and maybe take a year off, decide what he wants Mm -hmm. to do next, a sabbatical, whatever it is. No doubt there is lots of interest if he wants to jump back in. Well, and you mentioned how he's about to turn 60 this summer, and really that's not all that old for coaching standards. I mean, we're talking about Boudreaux, who's 67. So, I mean, if he wants, he has another decade of coaching the National Hockey League if he wants to do it. So I could see him maybe taking the year off and then saying, you know what, I have one more real kick at this for another decade and, and kind of see how it goes. If you're trying to figure out, though, teams that would be most interested in Barry Trotz, I know we've heard Winnipeg be thrown out there by mm-hmm. Friedman, uh, do you have a, another team that you think would want to move heaven and earth to hire Barry Trotz? Um, you know, I think when you look at Winnipeg, it makes sense for a number of reasons, not just the Manitoba connection um, with, you know, him being from Dauphin, Manitoba, and and um, really a team that has something there with their core, provided that there aren't major changes coming this summer that underachieved and could really use some structure. And so on the ice, off the ice, I think it makes so much sense. I I feel like his personality, knowing, you know, Barry Trotz a little bit, knowing Kevin Sheveldayoff, that they'd mesh really well and work well together. Um, And then the other team I think a lot about, and they haven't made this official yet, um, what happens with the Vegas Golden Knights and Pete DeBoer? I think even at this point, you know, while we know that Kelly McCrimmon is returning as general manager, what is the future of Pete DeBoer? It seems like he would be uh, potentially on the move um, in terms of looking for uh, another head coach in Vegas. Obviously not decided yet, but there's been plenty of smoke um when it comes to that v- potential vacancy would he fit there would the Vegas Golden Knights be a team you know for some similar reasons and needing some structure and needing you know a push to get over the top does he fit there so i think there'd be a number of intriguing options or opportunities and like i said teams that may not have pulled the trigger yet or weren't really thinking about it unless they see Barry Trotz, you know, being the one difference maker that helps them a lot. So for uh, a number of years, I've uh, around this time of year, I, I come on the air and I yell about how uh, the, the rule book changes in the postseason compared to the, the regular season. And yet here I am watching these playoffs, Frank, and 
I'm wondering to myself now, are they calling too many penalties? Because every time I look up at the screen, there's another power play ongoing or another four on four. This is this first round has been insane with the amount of penalty calls we've seen. It's unlike anything we've had in recent years. So, Dan, now that you've been calling for that. Yeah. And you've sort of gotten a bit of it. I don't love it. (laughs) Like, I'm going to be honest. I don't love it. Yeah. I, I'm with you. I don't either. I think it's been borderline unwatchable. Um, the number, the sheer number of four on fours, because there's scrums after the whistle and the referees are too afraid to take one and give one team an advantage. Um, it's been hard to, to watch. It's not normal NHL hockey. Uh, there's been a lot of ticky tack calls that we don't normally see in the playoffs. I tend to. I tend to think along the lines of like old school, you know, you need to commit a borderline felony in order to, to be whistled for a penalty when it comes to the Stanley cup playoffs. That's not the case. I do think statistically that the whistles do get put away the deeper into the playoffs you go. Once you get past the first round, either that or players magically find a way to adjust. I don't know how that's possible, but I'm, I'm watching it. I'm going, there's really not been a lot of drama. There's been a lot of blowouts. I don't know that penalties are totally the reason for that, but I think they're a big part of why. Yeah, I think that I think that is part of it too. And I would guess that as we as the playoffs go go on, that they start calling less and less, and we'll get to a point probably by the conference finals where we talk about why are they not calling anything. So we'll see this flip. I'm pretty sure at some point uh, in the postseason. But as far as teams that are unexpectedly in a, a bit of trouble, I mean, even the Florida Panthers uh, against the Washington Capitals, of course. And right now they're tied one one late in the first period. But the Dallas Stars and the Calgary Flames, and we talked about that, you know, last week about. You know, can we see that series even end up as an upset? And here we are looking at Dallas potentially going up 3-1 as soon as tonight here uh, against the Calgary Flames. So, I mean, what do you make of those two teams specifically that were big-time favorites all of a sudden up against it in their series? Uh, Expect the unexpected. I mean, isn't that how it works in the playoffs? And, Mm -hmm. like, how many brackets did you guys see you know, how many did you make yourself where there was a lot of chalk winning, a lot of favorites mm-hmm. that you had sort of sliding through the playoffs. And I'm thinking to myself, that hardly ever happens. Like why, like why were people, you know, knowing the history, why were people not picking for more carnage in the first round in terms of surprises? Um, the Florida Panthers offense totally drying up, you know, games one and three, a total of three goals. Uh, that was one of the you know offensive juggernauts of the salary cap era. The Calgary Flames, we, we knew it'd be perhaps a little bit of a grind, but not like this. I mean, that's a team with two 100-point scorers in Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk, and not just the guys that have been quiet for them, you know, in terms of stars, but where did all their secondary scoring go? You know, Jacob Markstrom has a 940-something save percentage in this series, and yet they've barely managed to get on the score sheet. So um, there's been a lot of twists and turns, and there's a lot of spots for the Flames, for the Panthers, for some other teams where it's, you know, it's getting late early. And, you know, you look at this game tonight for the Calgary Flames, like it's and the Panthers, more or less do or die. You know, you go, you you're even up, and you got new life, 
you're going to exhale and, and go home and, and, you know, turn this series around or you're down three to one going home and you're in big trouble. It's uh it's been a fascinating, um, Tampa Toronto series. Uh, I don't think Matthews really had the best uh, games in, in Tampa, but I think the biggest storyline there is, is John Tavares and how he just, he kind of looks a half step too slow these days, Frank. Yeah, I think that's fair commentary. I think if we're being honest, he's probably looked at half step slow all season. Yeah. Um, I mean, the points are there, but he just, I don't know that the points are one thing, but he just doesn't seem to be in the play as often. He has never really looked quite the same to me since that really scary collision last year in the, in the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, easy to say, no idea what it would be like to be him and to go through that and to wonder if it's actually a factor. But if you talk about someone not being quite as involved in the play, like wouldn't that have to have some kind of connection to it? Yeah, it would. I just, you know, when, when, when he's able to get below the hash marks, I mean, he can still do some great things. It's just in the overall, his transition game isn't where it used to be. And you see the Leafs struggling uh, against the rush when he's on the ice and, that's that's the tough part about signing an eleven million dollar contract. That's uh, that's one the Leafs won't be able to move either. Yeah, it hurts. There's no question about it. And the Leafs, uh, stop me if you've heard me say it before. I don't think any team in the NHL has been more hampered by the flat flat cap with regards to the pandemic than than the Leafs. Like they were banking on the cap mm-hmm. being, you know, in the low nineties this point and we're a long way off from that and for a long time so when you add in that kind of pain um the fact that they've been able to find some other diamonds in the rough here a, a michael bunting to get what they've gotten out of an Ilya mikhaev and engvall and, and some character pieces that they've been able to add to their lineup i think speaks volume about their creativity and their ability to go out and scout and, and scour the market um, but the Tavares contract is, you know, it's, it's only going to get more painful than it is at the moment. So that's, that's the truth. That's the way the aging curve works. There's very few anomalies and exceptions. Um, and you know, the other big question I have about this series is, can they get enough from Jack Campbell? Mm-hmm. Can he, you know, John Cooper was pretty pointed in his comments. He's averaging three and a half goals against the game you know, they're pretty satisfied with three and a half in terms of scoring that from Tampa's perspective. You know, he looked really good in game one with a shutout. He saved their bacon in game three, but games two and four, it's been quite ugly. So which Jack Campbell are we going to get against the lightning team that just doesn't lose two in a row? Right. I have one more question around the Leafs, and that has to do with Willie Nylander. And I know, you know, that play he lets up late. And I actually think that play, people are so mad at him for, for kind of letting up. He was late in the shift. He's trying to make sure the puck gets deep and gets off. Like, I don't think it's as bad as it visually looks. But considering the reaction and considering everything around that player, is he the most likely Leaf that has a big ticket to get traded this offseason? I think it's probably way too early to be even having that type of conversation um you know he does that but he and there's if you saw the same social media thread that i saw on twitter with some clips from previous years Mm -hmm. he's done it previously too but 
he's also one of the few guys on that team that's found a way to elevate himself and his game almost every spring. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yes, he's not physical. Yes, you're going to get some clips like that that are ugly and and don't look great. But I don't know. I, I think William Nylander can be a pretty special player. So I, I don't um, – I think it's easy to point the finger at him and say – you know, you look at those those clips in isolation and you say, yeah, that's not a great look, not a great compete level, but I don't know. I don't look at him as part of the problem. He's, I mean, he scores goals. Like, I, I don't understand why people are just constantly trading him away. It's it's not his game to get in hard on the forecheck and bang bodies around. Um, not a great look, but also I uh, don't think you should expect that from a player like William Nylander. Anyways, Frank, uh, always appreciate the time. We'll talk next week. Thank you, guys. Have a good one. There is uh, Frank Cervalli, daily face-off, and a regular here on uh, Canuck Central every Monday. I still wonder about Nylander in Toronto. And by the way, I like Willie Nylander. Like, I would trade for Willie Nylander. I'm just saying, I'm not sure the Leafs love him. Sat's a Leaf homer. <laughs> no. I, Are you I, hearing this guy? I like Willie Nylander. I can't, I can't disagree with you. Like, I think William Nylander is... Um, an incredibly smooth player. Very talented. Offensively gifted. And a player that, when he's on the ice, a lot of good things tend to happen. Yes. Those are the players you kind of want in the National Hockey League. And of course, he's not perfect. Of course, you'd like him to be a little bit harder in situations. But you know what? He's got more goals than Mitch Marner in the postseason. Mm -hmm. A lot more. Yeah. He scores more over the last couple of years in the postseason than Aston Matthews does. Yeah. So what what are you really complaining about? The idea that he's soft when you see a clip like that? Or if he actually gets the job done? Because I see guys like Johnny Gaudreau, Matthew Kachuk. Matthew Kachuk, the ultimate, like, this is the guy you want in the playoffs. His, his game will translate to the postseason. Yeah, where is it? Seven points in 18 games in the postseason in Not his career? Great. Not great. Meanwhile... You know, William Nylander gets it done. So, I think it's a bias. Anyways. <laughs> There's, there might be a slight bias with him. And I, I believe if he goes to a different team, goes through a trade and everything like that, and gets elevated even higher somewhere, you can get a different level out of him. I just look at him as being a guy that he goes elsewhere, he's going to pop off big yeah. time. Yeah, And teams going to look at that and say, man, for $7 bucks the next couple of years, that's not bad. Well, you, you look at him, and uh, the knock on him earlier was he couldn't score. In the last couple of years, he's really added goal scoring to his game. I mean, he's done a lot of good things, and he's worked really hard at his game, and he's improved it. So. Well, and the Leafs are in a position where, uh, with Tavares making $11 million, they're going to have to sacrifice a player like Willie Nylander. Man, Tavares is uh, <laughs> in trouble, man. So That is not looking like a good contract. He is uh, he's hitting 40 home runs, but is getting on base at like a 280 clip. You know, it's empty calories. Yeah, it's it's not the, a po- lot. the points have been there in the regular season, but I just think the overall production hasn't been what you need it to be for an eleven million dollar player. Well, and I don't think Tavares has ever been a super fast player. No, like, he's never been a fast skater. But this that, was, was always the concern: is as he gets yes. older and he loses another step. Well, that that's where it gets bad because yeah. he's never been a fast guy. But as soon as he loses a little bit more. Because, I mean, coming out of the draft, that was a knock on him. It was a skating. Yeah. Early in his career, the knock on him was a skating. And he got better at it. And he was, you know, moving pretty well. But it is noticeable. Like, last year or so, he's not moving nearly as well as he was before. And he's never fast to begin with. 
It's uh, Canucks Central. Coming up after 5 o'clock, we will get into the Abbotsford Canucks with Chris Faber here on Sportsnet 650.